Hello, and welcome to the On Time Autism Intervention Podcast, a podcast for parents of children three and younger, dedicated to providing accurate information about autism, autism intervention, and guidance for your new path. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Washington's On-Time Autism Intervention, or OTAI. We're a collaborative project led by the UW's Autism Center and Herring Center for Inclusive Education. Our work is supported by the Seattle Foundation and aims to increase equitable access to timely diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and evidence-based intervention for young children and their families. We are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, we're going to learn about assessment and eligibility for birth of three services. And when I say eligibility, I mean how the decision is made about whether or not a child qualifies for early intervention services. Yes. So early intervention services, or as we call them, birth to three services, they're offered in every state for any child who's found to have delays in their development. So there's a main number you call if you have concerns, and then they connect you with an agency that's usually pretty close to your home. Mm hmm. And it also seems important to point out that this is for anyone with concerns, not just parents or other people who are concerned about ASD. And sometimes it's really hard to be able to tell if your child is meeting those milestones. So, you know, how you read the book about what to expect in the first year. Oh, I totally remember. And I remember how anxious those kind of books made me. And and also just looking around and noticing other kids um, who were meeting milestones, maybe a little quicker than mine were or um, yeah. 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 This can be super stressful for parents. Totally. But the great thing is that there are these amazing developmental experts available through birth to three, and they can help you determine if, if it is something to worry about or not. And not only will they give you a sense of your child's skills and their strengths and their areas of growth or need, but they'll also work on teaching you strategies to help your child's development right now. Yes, they will. And, and the providers we've worked with in birth to three are amazing. They are experts in development in their fields, and the Birth of Three model is very family-focused and very family-friendly. So true. Okay, well, it is time for us to welcome our guest. Yes, it's time, it's time. Today we have Emily, and Emily is a birth to three special education teacher. So she is going to talk to us all about assessment and eligibility for birth to three or early intervention services. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you. So we'll just dive right into our questions. It's time for us to do that. Um, So what happens after a parent calls the number to access birth to three services. And what is that number called? Sure. So in Washington, we receive referrals through Help Me Grow, which is under the umbrella of a program called Within Reach. And Within Reach connects with each birth to three organization every couple of months to check on our capacity um, and see if we're able to take new referrals. And so once Within Reach gets a referral, then within two days, they refer to a, an individual agency based on capacity and location um, where the family lives. 
And additionally, a family can also request a particular agency, uh, depending on whether that agency is currently taking referrals. Then once an early intervention program gets the referral, we have two business days to contact the family. And at that point, the agency's intake coordinator will conduct or schedule a brief intake interview with the family where they ask about um, concerns and gather a bit of information about a child's health and developmental history. And I also want to note um, that a medical provider can also make a referral on a family's behalf. So a lot of our referrals actually come from NICUs and Seattle Children's Hospital and other medical providers in the area. So you may notice that Emily just used the acronym NICU, which stands for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. The other acronym that Emily is about to use and introduce the concept of in this next section is IFSP, which stands for Individualized Family Services Plan. She'll talk a little bit more about what this means, but just want you to know that when she says IFSP, that's the plan that's developed by the Birth to Three Center that really centers around the family's needs for that child and during this period of time in their life. IFSP stands for Individualized Family Services Plan. So, so the screening call happens and then do you know how long it takes for the actual assessment to be scheduled with the team? That's a great question. Yeah, usually that is scheduled within a week or two. Um, the timeline is that we have 45 days from the referral to the initial IFSP. So in that time, the screening happens, the initial eligibility evaluation happens and the individualized family services plan, which I can talk about a little more later, but all of that happens, has to happen within 45 days of that initial referral. So that's the evaluation awesome. is usually within a few weeks, I'd say yeah. that first. Yeah, call. that's so great. It's so great that it happened so quickly. In this section, Emily is going to talk to us a little bit about all of the steps involved in the initial evaluation for early intervention services. She is going to mention that parents need to provide consent. In this case, that just means permission to do the testing and move forward with the evaluation. So then Emily, tell us what uh, what does that initial assessment include? What does that look like for a family and how, how is it decided what it is, what's included? Yeah, great question. So if parents do consent to the initial evaluation, because all of these steps require um, parent consent, then a multidisciplinary evaluation takes place. And so what that means is that the evaluation team must be com comprised of professionals from at least two disciplines. So this might include a special educator like myself, a speech and language pathologist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, or perhaps a school nurse. At, um, at our agency, the evaluation team is selected based on the primary concern of the parent. Um, so for example, if a family is mostly concerned about, let's say their child's communication, then the evaluation team would likely include a speech language pathologist and another provider such as an educator or a nurse. And then when, when we evaluate a child to determine eligibility for birth to three services, regardless of the initial concern, we always look at five core areas of development, even if the parent only expressed concerns about one or two areas. 
Um, so we really want to be thorough and get as much information as we can and kind of look at the whole child. Uh, so these five areas are um, one, communication, two, cognitive or early learning skills, three, fine and gross motor, um, four, adaptive, also known as self-care skills, and then five, um, social emotional development. And so we also gather information about a child's hearing and vision and we'll refer out to specialists if there are hearing or vision concerns. And Emily, I wonder if you could tell me, like, I'm just thinking about self-care for a two-year-old, like they're not taking care of themselves. What do you <laughs> right. mean by self-care? Um, you know, that's a great, uh, great question. And it kind of depends, um, can depend on, on the family environment and what is kind of age expected within their family. But a lot of things we start to see around that age are things like helping to take off their own clothes, you know, kids pulling off their socks or their shoes or feeding themselves in some way, you know, in some families that might mean eating with hands and fingers and some families that might mean starting to use a utensil, um, drinking from a cup or a, a straw. Um, so those self-care skills, I think are a big part of it, kind of that feeding, dressing, um, you know, some kids may be starting to show an interest in toileting, but that often comes a little bit later. So I'd say most of the kids that, that we see um, at intake aren't yet toileting because they're usually under two. Um. In this section, Emily's going to talk a little bit about three ways that the initial evaluation is conducted and kind of three ways that information is gathered about a child. One of the things she's going to refer to is observation of that child. So that's going to include things like watching the child, maybe in their natural environment, if it is a virtual evaluation, or perhaps watching the child interact with the materials and toys in an evaluation setting if it's happening in person. Sometimes this also can mean in a home setting as well. When Emily refers to parent report, she's talking about information that the parent shares with the evaluator. So this could be based on questions that the evaluator asks. It could just be based on maybe the parent's concerns and why they're, why they believe they're here seeking out an evaluation. And then finally, she is talking about direct testing. And so this would include things like more formal assessments, um, sometimes standardized assessments where there are specific sets of questions, um, specific materials and um, interactions with the child that really need to be done a certain way in order to understand uh, where that child's developmental level is or their language level. Um, and there really are assessments used across the different disciplines or domains that she refers to. Let's see. And so as far as you're asking kind of also about like what the evaluation looks like. So the evaluation itself usually includes a mix of observation some direct testing of specific skills, um, and then quite a bit of parent interview. And currently due to the pandemic, I'd say most agencies are primarily conducting our evaluations via video conference. So as a result, we are utilizing um, mostly observation and parent report and a little bit less of that direct testing of maybe you know, having your kids stack up blocks so that we can kind of do that over Zoom too. Um, but, but using parent report works pretty well since parents obviously know their kids best and they can share a ton of really important details about their child's skills. And I also think that 
another kind of benefit is that these conversations are also a great way to get to know the family and to start to build a relationship. Um, and that said, you know, some agencies are now beginning to offer the in-person evaluations in some cases um, based on their COVID protocols. So the format of the evaluations is something that may likely change a bit in the next months. Oh, wow. Those sound just so comprehensive and awesome. I'm wondering what, um, like, how is eligibility for early intervention services determined? Yeah, great question. So in our evaluations, we use a, a wide variety of norm-referenced tools. And so a norm-referenced tool allows us to compare a child's score in any given area to um, that of other children their same age via standard scores, percentile ranks, and age equivalents. And um, as far as kind of a criteria for eligibility, children are eligible for birth to three services if they have a 25% delay relative to their same aged peers in at least one area of development. So as an example, let's say my child is 24 months old and their communication skills correspond to an age equivalent of an average 18 month old. So, you know, from 24 months to, to um, down to 18 months, that's a, a delay of six months, which is 25% of their age at 20, 24 months. 25% of uh, 24 is six. So in that case, my child would be eligible for services because of that 25% delay. And um, eligibility, excuse me, can also be determined based on scores 1.5 or more standard deviations below the mean. That's a little, a little harder to just explain um, out loud, but uh, the evaluators will document and explain any qualifying scores in a written report with a lot of detail for the family. Um, so that's just a quick summary of how a child could qualify based on a developmental delay. And then in cases where the scores don't automatically qualify a child for birth to three services, but there's still kind of significant concerns about the child's development and progress. In those cases, professionals may sometimes use what's called informed clinical opinion. And in these situations, um, which I'd say are somewhat rare, uh, children may qualify based on information that has been gathered in combination with the professional judgment of the evaluator. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of the last way kids can qualify for birth to three services is if they already have a diagnosis with a high probability of resulting in a developmental delay. So especially in, in very young children and infants, they may not be showing developmental delays yet, but if they have a diagnosis likely to result in a developmental delay, um, you know, things like chromosomal abnormalities, genetic conditions, sensory impairments as a few examples, um, then they can qualify based on that diagnosis. And yeah, so those are the ways that a child can be determined eligible for a birth to three services. In her last answer, Emily talked about the four ways that a child may be found to be eligible for birth to three or early intervention services. The first way was uh, she talked about a 25% delay in development. The second way she referenced something called standard deviations below the mean. And basically what this means is how far away the child scores from what is considered the average score. So if a child scores far enough below what's considered the average score, they may qualify for early intervention services. 
The third way was professional judgment of the professionals conducting the evaluation. And the fourth and final way were those specific diagnoses that have high probability um, to result in some type of developmental delay. So without getting too technical, because sometimes this stuff does get all these standard deviations, yeah. ugh, it's like super technical. Yes. What, like, what, what does that mean? So you're eligible, what, what, it happens after eligibility, but like, what, what does it look like to be in birth to three, you know, receiving services? Yeah. So after the evaluation, the evaluators will write up a report to share all those nitty gritty details. And, you know, I mentioned the percentages before, but a lot of the report will really be, you know, examples and, you know, uh, from, from the evaluation from the parent report. Um, and, you know, even if the child doesn't qualify, educators will write a brief report with some recommendations and potential ne next steps for the family. And then if a child does qualify, then the parents, again, have that choice. They make the consent. They make, you know, give their informed consent. Um, they can make the choice to participate in the birth of three services. And so if they do consent, as I mentioned before, there's that 45 calendar day kind of clock. Um, and so the FRC or the family resources coordinator, they'll schedule the individualized family services plan or the IFSP meeting with the family. And so this meeting is a time for the parents um, and the FRC and potential providers to come together. And um, there's, we talk about routines, talk about family activities and parent concerns and priorities to really get a sense for the child and the family and what the parents want for their family. And that kind of helps drive the, the plan for, for individual services. So um, like I said, that meeting needs to take place within 45 days of that initial referral and the IFSP meeting always includes the family um, along with any others they wish to invite. So if they wanna bring another family member or an advocate or someone else to support them, they're welcome to do that. Um, and the FRC is always there. Um, interpreters will also attend when needed. Um, and then in addition to the FRC, there's usually one or more potential service providers who'd come to the meeting as well. And so that's kind of the sort of that starting point of kind of building kind of a roadmap for what what the services will look like for family. What, what kind of support do they need? Um, what are they looking for? What are their, their hopes and dreams and goals for their little one? Hmm. That's so great. That's, you know, a, a wonderful coming together of so many people on behalf of each child. Yeah. In this section, Emily mentioned a couple different kinds of providers. And so I'm gonna take a quick minute and just describe who those people are and define them for you. Um, she talks about a, a family resources coordinator or an FRC, and this person, um, it can kind of vary a little bit depending on the agency, but in general, this particular person is going to be um, kind of what it sounds like, a, a resource person, kind of a, um, a go-between for families and community resources and services. They're going to be aware of um, different resources in the community and early intervention service providers at that agency. They may be sometimes the first point of contact for families um, who have a concern re regarding their child's development. Um, they might meet with families and discuss those concerns, maybe help facilitate some of the evaluation. Um, 
And as Emily mentioned, they'll often um, support the development of and attend that first individualized family services plan meeting, as well as ongoing meetings too. She also talks a little bit about that other service providers might be at that initial um, IFSP meeting. And basically what she means by that are just other providers from the birth to three agency, um, who will be doing the parent support or coaching in the areas that the child qualifies for those developmental services. So we're going to go ahead and pause and really, um, give you some time to think about the information that's been presented to you in this first part of episode two. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about who the different providers are and kind of what that entry into early intervention services look like. But we wanted to make sure to divide up. This is a lot of information. And so divide it up as best we can so that you have time to process, digest. You know, if you are just super into it and want to dive right into part two, go for it. Um, It's all there for you as well. So Thanks so much for listening to part one of our assessment and evaluation episode for part C or birth to three or early intervention services. And we can't wait to talk to you in part two. This podcast represents the opinions of Drs. Ashley Penny and Jessica Greenson and our guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as clinical or medical advice and is for information purposes only. Because each child is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional with any specific questions. Views and opinions expressed on the podcast are our own. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we're sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast, and in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thank you.